Do you ever doubt or question God's faithfulness to keep His promises? That was a question that was asked at our dinner table last night. And one of our kids said, yes. I said, why? Um, And they said, Sri Lanka. You remember what we've talked about and been praying about over the past several weeks. In Sri Lanka, uh, Easter Sunday, over 300 Christians were slaughtered uh, as they were attacked and bombed as they worshipped God. And I said, what is it about Sri Lanka? And they said, sometimes I wonder if God can and will protect His people when they go to church. Um, do you have those questions? Do you struggle to know? Is God going to protect His people? Can He protect His people? Will He? Will we suffer? And if we do, what does that mean of His faithfulness and of His goodness? You see, it's not just Sri Lanka. This past week in Burkina Faso, after a, a worship service, um, uh, some uh, last Sunday, believers were gathered outside of their church. Armed men came up, took their Bibles, took their cell phones, uh, were f- trying to force them to, com- uh, to, to convert to Islam. They refused. And so one by one, they took them out behind the church and shot every single one of them. What do we do with questions of God's goodness, of His promises, of His protection? In Central Asia this past week, uh, a teacher converted to Christ was boldly sharing the gospel around uh, his community. Because of that, he was fired. He lost his job as a teacher. And now he's been charged and faces seven years in prison for believing and sharing the gospel of Christ. In Uzbekistan, uh, this past month, uh, 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 a woman who is in a a Muslim family, her and her husband, um, came to faith in Jesus. Her sons and her daughters rejected them and began to abuse them and malign them for abandoning Islam and going and trusting in Jesus. Uh, They would uh, beat and abuse them, and eventually, since that wasn't working, they uh, convinced the the authorities in the area to commit her to a mental institution, claiming that she was crazy and insane in order to get her to convert and abandon Jesus. Around the world, God's people are facing persecution. And this is not new. As we're working and we're finishing this week our our journey through the book of Daniel, we see that that has been a consistent theme uh, and a consistent experience. And the message that God is communicating to His people through Daniel is that that will always be a part of the story of the people of God. We will suffer, we will experience persecution, and experience hardship. What do, we, what do we do? How do we endure? 
and persevere in the, the midst of persecution that may await for us? How do we cling to the promises of our God in the midst of suffering and persecution and stories of, uh, of harm that are coming to believers around the world? Um, this was the same questions that were facing the people of Israel. Those who had returned from exile in Babylon um, were uh, trying to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, and were experiencing opposition, persecution, abuse at the hands of the nations, at the hands of corrupt government officials. And Daniel is writing to them uh, to encourage them to, uh, to persevere and to endure and to hope in the promises of God as they look to and anticipate persecution in their lives. This morning, uh, that is the same message that God has for us that we'll see here in chapters 11 and 12 of the book of Daniel. So if you would, turn with me uh, from... Uh, and if you're using one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this would be on page... Uh, beginning on page 748. Um, uh, remember uh, that... Uh, Chapters 11 and 12, as I mentioned last week, uh, go hand in hand with, with uh, chapter 10. Chapter 10 was the introduction to this, um, uh, this vision that God is giving Daniel as Daniel is, is praying and pleading to God in response to the persecution that his people are experiencing back in Jerusalem as they have returned. Daniel's still in the, the region of Babylon, although the Persians are in control. And this is the vision that God gives to Daniel to encourage him and to encourage his, God's people to persevere and endure in the face of persecution. Um, we're going to look at uh, all of chapter 11 and 12 this morning. Um, uh, parts of this chapter are uh, um, recovering some of the same content that we saw back in chapter 8. Uh, and so um, some of that I'm just going to summarize as we go forward. Um, as it talks about uh, the, the rulers and what was going on after the fall of Alexander the Great and the battle between the Ptolemaic Empire and the Seleucid Empire. Um, uh, you can uh, look back through some of this if you want. And so I'll read sections of it and summarize it, but we're mainly going to focus on um, uh, uh, the end of chapter 11 and chapter 12 this morning. So if you would, follow along with me as we hear from the Word of God beginning in verse 2 of chapter 11. And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in, in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven but not to his posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. Here in just a few short verses, uh, the, the vision has summarized the, the reign of the Persians and Alexander the Great as he conquered. Um, what is then going to be covered through verses 5 through 36 is the battle that goes back and forth between the four generals that took over uh, the Greek uh, kingdom. Um, and uh, it's going to go all the way up until uh, 
focusing in on Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus IV Epiphanes, who we talked about, was one particular king in particular that brought extreme uh, persecution and abuse to God's people. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pick up where Daniel's vision picks up on focusing in on Antiochus because it ex, uh, expends great ink to talk and focus on him. Uh, so we're going to pick up in verse 28. And he, it's talking about Antiochus, shall return to his land with great wealth, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant, and he shall work his will and return to his own land. At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be his, uh, this time as it was before, for ships of Katim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the holy covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand Though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help. And many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. From verse 36 to 45, um, it picks up and is uh, focusing in on another king. Uh, that is uh, is to come, uh, but we want to skip down and focus in on um, the the response that this that the angel is communicating to Daniel, beginning in verse one of chapter twelve. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as has never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase." Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on the other bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be uh, 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 
1,335 days. But go your way to the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You, um, having purposed persecution for Your people, have given us Your Word to encourage and guide us as we face it. Holy Spirit, we pray that You would give us understanding. Daniel struggled to understand and You communicated to him. And we pray that You would continue to do that for us this morning. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So in light of the fact that persecution uh, is coming, there's, there's an encouragement that God wants to give His people to endure and to persevere. And we're, the first thing that we, we see in this passage is that this message is coming, one of perseverance, one of endurance, uh, endurance um, one of staying faithful and steadfast to God because... Persecution is coming. Daniel is clear about that. Um, notice as we look in this passage, uh, an important question though to, to ask and wonder is, all right, persecution's coming, but who's going to experience it? Who will be the ones who experience this persecution? Notice in verse 28, as it is uh, talking about Antiochus Epiphanes. Remember, one of the things that, uh, that it highlighted in this passage and, and touched on was, remember Antiochus was battling with the, the Ptolemaic Empire that was down in Egypt, and so he kept coming back and forth through the Promised Land. Uh, and as he would get defeated, he would take out his anger on the, uh, on the, the people back in, the, uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, and so there was a lot of suffering that was going on. And notice how Daniel, uh, Daniel words this in verse 28. And he shall return to his land with great wealth, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant. And he shall work his will and return to his own land. And again, in verse 30, it uh, highlights this again. Uh, for ships from Katim, this is speaking of Roman ships that come in and break up Alexander, Antiochus trying to expand his, his rule. Uh, and he shall be afraid and withdraw. And he shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the Holy Covenant. Um, the, the focus as Daniel zeroes down as he's talking about persecution that lies ahead for the people of God. Generally, he is saying the people of God, particularly here as they're uh, uh, looking forward hundreds of years into the future, that a time will come where a king rises up who will uh, attack and be against and raise himself up against God's people. And they will experience great and significant and difficult persecution. Um, but, But notice that as Daniel's talking about this, not everybody who outwardly would identify themselves as being a part of God's people experience the suffering and the persecution. There's two groups of people that seem to be distinguished as Daniel is talking about this, who outwardly would identify themselves as being a part of the covenant people, but whose experience with the persecution and whose response to the persecution is very, very different. Notice 
uh, how it, it begins to highlight these two different groups of people. So in verse 30, Antiochus is going to be enraged and take action against the Holy Covenant, and he shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. And in verse 32, he mentions them again. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. Remember what was going on at this time is that, that people uh, in, in fear of Antiochus, uh, um, his programs and his laws that forbid worshiping the one true God, that forbid circumcision, that forbid following the, 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 the law of God. All of that was forbidden at the pain of death and you could be killed. But there were many people in, uh, who were forsaking the covenant, who were rebelling against God, and through bribery and through trying to preserve their own lives, went along with Antiochus so that they would not die. And not just that they wouldn't die, so that they would gain status and wealth uh, under his reign and his rule. Those are the ones that are being described as those who are forsaking the covenant. But notice there's another group of people that are mentioned in verse 32, he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, those who turn away from God. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. So here now we're seeing two groups, those who forsake the covenant and then those who are described as knowing their God. They take action. They respond differently to this threat of persecution and death that Antiochus brings before them. Notice how... Uh, how they are described as it uh, as it goes um, it goes uh, forward um, in verse thirty three uh, they are they it says that they're going to take action and then they're described as the wise among the people shall make many understand though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame by captivity and plunder when they stumble they shall receive a little help and many shall be joined themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined and purified and make, made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. Uh, what we see here is that uh, as Daniel is talking, he's describing those who are experiencing the persecution and the suffering, who are stumbling, who are experiencing captivity and plundering and death by the sword. Who are they? They're described as the wise the wise in Scripture is not those who, who, uh, who just make good decisions and know a lot of stuff. The wise are those who are faithful to their God, who fear and follow and obey and trust the God of the Bible. Those are those who know their God, who in faith are trusting and hoping in Him. Notice what Daniel's saying. It's when this persecution comes, the ones who are experiencing the persecution are going to be the faithful the wise, those who are hoping and trusting and depending on God, those who escape it are those who are unfaithful, who avoid it and flee from the persecution. Is, is this just a scenario that was true for the Jews who are around in Antiochus' time in the, the 100s B.C.? Is this only something that's going to be part of their story? That only they're the ones who are going to experience persecution like this? Or is God calling for endurance and perseverance for his people throughout space, time, and history? Well, do all of us 
have persecution to anticipate and to expect. Notice how it goes on in verse one of chapter 12. At that time shall arise Michael. So when he's talking about at that time, he's referring to when the second king that's mentioned in verse 36 arises. Notice what he says at that time. Uh, Michael shall arise. Remember, he is a particular angel warrior who's battling on behalf of God's people in the heavenly places who will be who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such has never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people will be delivered. Everyone's whose name shall be found written in the book. Uh, Daniel, this vision gives him insight into what is to come. And he's talking about a time in the future when a great period of time of trouble and struggle will arise for the people of God. Uh, and notice that it's going to be so great that there would, could not have been trouble before that anyone would acknowledge and, and say it'll pale in comparison to how difficult it is. And the result of it will be that this trouble is so bad in, uh, in verse 7. Notice what it says. It's going to continue until... Um, at the end of verse seven, until the, the shattering of the power of the holy people. This suffering and this persecution that is being foretold and talked about will have great uh, casualties among the people of God, resulting ultimately in their power completely being shattered. Who is this speaking of? Well, it's interesting. In, uh, in Matthew 24, when Jesus is talking and he's talking to his disciples about the suffering that they will struggle with and suffer. He refers back to this passage in Daniel. That this king that's going to arise uh, in uh, verse 36 and this trouble and this tribulation that's going to be faced. Jesus uses to describe the suffering that God's people will experience from his time of coming on earth until he returns. He ties in and connects it to the suffering that God's people will experience when, uh, uh, as they testify and, and witness for him. That he talks about it being uh, demonstrated when Rome comes and destroys the temple and Jerusalem. And he also points forward to the time when uh, uh, a, a chief troubler will come to the very end when God's people will suffer greatly before he returns to come again. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul refers back to this and talks about a man of lawlessness, referring to this, uh, this king that rises up, this great powerful ruler who is against God and against his people. And Paul, again, is relating this not just to one particular time, but it's true and applicable to all of God's people throughout space, time, and history. And then again, uh, John, throughout the book of Revelation, refers back to imagery from this section of Daniel to describe the ongoing struggle that exists between the kingdoms of this world, between Satan and his angels, and between God and his people of the persecution and suffering that they will face. Daniel is clear. Jesus is clear. Paul is clear. John is clear. God's people will suffer. Those who faithfully trust and hope in Jesus can anticipate and know that they will experience suffering and persecution. Those who will experience that are the faithful, those who avoid it, are considered the unfaithful. 
that brings a question for all of us. Are we living now in light of this reality? Are we preparing our hearts and our lives anticipating suffering to come? Are we valuing the things God values so that when suffering comes before us and the threat of persecution is there, that we value Jesus, the truth of the gospel, over against everything else, fame, status, money, family, pain, life, death? What do we need to to acknowledge and see deep in our hearts now to bring before our God, to plead before Him that the Holy Spirit would begin a work in our hearts that we would be preparing now for persecution that might arise for God's people? Something that we need to consider because the Scriptures are clear. God's people will face suffering and persecution. But that brings up Another question, if, if we see here in this passage what Daniel's communicating, it's the faithful who suffer and who experience persecution, and it's the unfaithful who avoid it, what, is, what does that mean for us? Remember, the, the stories that I mentioned at the beginning of the, the service, where were they? Sri Lanka, Burkina Faso. Central Asia, Uzbekistan. I didn't say Elizabeth City. I didn't say North Carolina. I didn't say the United States of America. Why do they experience so much more persecution and suffering to such great extent than we do? What, what does that mean? Does that mean that we should view ourselves, American Christians, as being the unfaithful ones and they're the faithful ones because they're experiencing the persecution and we, for whatever reason, have abandoned and forsaken the covenant and therefore that is why we are avoiding and missing out on the suffering? Is that what Daniel's getting at? Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Look in, verses, in verse 9 of chapter 12. I'll pick up in verse 8 just to have context. Remember, Daniel's just seen this vision. He's hearing these angels talking. And he says, I heard, but I did not understand. And then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. That doesn't mean that nobody can look at them. It just means sealed, meaning they're, they're approved They're authentic and they will occur. But his word to Daniel is, go your way, Daniel. And in verse 13, he says it again. But go your way until the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Remember, who is experiencing the suffering and the persecution at this time when Daniel is receiving this vision? It was the Jews who had returned to Jerusalem. They were suffering at the hands of the people of the land and of the corrupt Persian politicians. Daniel's back in Babylon. He's not experiencing that persecution. The vision that Daniel has is for hundreds of years in the future when Daniel will not be alive. Daniel will not experience that suffering and that persecution. 
God's word to him is, Daniel, you go your way. You go the way that I have decreed and purposed for you. Be faithful where I have called you. Remember, we've seen that for Daniel. Has there been times where Daniel, in living faithfully, where God has placed and called him, necessitated that Daniel go through and experience persecution and potential danger and rejection? Yes. As soon as he showed up in Babylon, he refused to uh, identify with the gods of Babylon um, and uh, uh, and going through that, that whole food test with him, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was potential for them to, to, to die in that. Later, Daniel, in hearing the response of do not seek any other God in the midst of your, uh, your fear or any kind of question that you may have, he hears that decree and then he goes and prays at consequence of him going and being cast into the lion's den. Daniel, at various times, when it calls for him to be faithful to his God and to resist uh, um, uh, denying the faith that God has called him to, Daniel experiences persecution. But for the bulk of Daniel's time in Babylon, he lives a pretty good life. He lives faithfully serving these kings. And even now, he's not back in Jerusalem. He's not experiencing the persecution that his brothers and his sisters are facing. See, what God is calling us is that there will be times in our lives where we will experience persecution. And to live faithfully before God will mean that we experience it. But it does not always mean that all of us will experience persecution to the same degree, to the same extent, and for, and for the, the same prolonged amount of time. Daniel didn't. What he's called to, though, is to be faithful and go the way that God has called him, prepared to and willing to suffer as he embraces and hopes in his God. What about you and me? Are we living faithfully where God has called us? Are we going our way, trusting in our God, prepared, willing to suffer if need be, to pursue faithfulness before Him. What about you? What about me? Let's think about some scenarios. What if you're in science class, middle school, high school, college? We've talked about this before, but I think it's important to continue to bring up. And the teacher says how foolish how utterly foolish it would be for you to believe that there's a God. Not just that there's a God, but there's a God who created everything. And that the Bible is a, a myth and fantasy um, and that uh, only fools would believe in certain things like that. And then the question would go out, who in here believes in the Bible? Would you raise your hand? Knowing that to raise your hand means you are risking being ridiculed, not just by your teacher, but other students in your class. Not only would you think about raising your hand, would you be able to, 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 to communicate and say back, actually, you know what? Uh, the Bible is true. And there's a lot of evidence that points to its validity and its authenticity and that it's an accurate and true account of the history of our world and the state of humanity. 
Would you be able to do that? Would you be willing to do that? Or would you be afraid and shrink back and actually just keep your hand down and melt into the surrounding uh, uh, students in your class? What about if you're a parent? You've taken your kids to the, the local neighborhood playground and you're sitting around and there's other neighbors that have come up. And all of a sudden the conversation turns and they're talking about other parents who aren't there. Stuff that's going on in their lives and, and, and laughing at them and ridiculing them. What do you do? Do you speak up and say that this isn't a conversation that we should be having? Do you put a stop to the gossip? Or are you afraid to speak up because you know if you do, it will mean that you experience their, uh, their joking and their jesting. That when you leave and you're away, they're going to start mumbling about you and your parenting and how you nose your, your way in and ridicule you all over uh, the little playground bench. Or what about those of you who are in the Coast Guard? Um, and depending on what unit you may be in, there may be a, uh, a, a ritual that new um, uh, recruits or new people who show up to your uh, uh, to your um, your command go through on your ship that involves um, what some may call hazing, others may call bullying and abuse. Do you participate and go in with some of this, whether it's verbal or physical, uh, because that's just the way the culture is, and to abstain from doing it or participating in it might mean that you lose some credibility or that they might turn on you? Or do you speak up and do you do something and do you say something about it? Or do you just keep your mouth quiet because you're afraid of what may happen? What about hanging out with your work colleagues? And you really want to be accepted by them? Um, and the way that they seem to bond is over excessive use of alcohol. And you desperately want to be a part of this group and this team and this club. Uh, and you feel like you're on the, the outside. And the way to, be, to acceptance is to pursue uh, um, drunkenness, to, to feel like you fit in. Because you're afraid if you live a holy life, then that would, instead of resulting in your acceptance, it would result in your rejection and you being uh, looked down upon and ridiculed and put on the outside. What do you do? How do you respond? How many of you have experienced situations like that? Or the stories that I mentioned might not describe you exactly, but what came to your mind and came to your heart was places of deep shame where you know, I didn't raise my hand. I didn't speak up. I failed. I was one of the ones who responded unfaithfully I was afraid. I didn't think in the moment that Jesus was worth it. I didn't share the gospel with that person because I didn't want to lose the relationship. What, what do you do? How do you respond? What is Jesus' response going to be to you? Are you and I who have done those things one of the unfaithful? Has God completely and utterly rejected us? Is Daniel in the Bible trying to say, you know what? You need to be like Daniel. 
Look how great and holy and righteous he is. If you were strong and bold and brave enough, you could be like Daniel too and make a big difference in your world. But I think a lot of us find ourselves more like Peter. You know who Peter is? Peter is one of 12 men that Jesus specifically selected to be his followers. Now, if you read the accounts of Jesus' life and teachings, you'll find that these guys didn't have stellar resumes. Um, and Peter liked to speak his, his mouth, uh, speak his mind a lot and open his mouth. And Peter was very bold with his words. And Jesus was talking about a time where he would suffer and need to die in order to redeem and save sinners. And Peter was like, what are you talking about? That's not going to happen. And Jesus goes, actually, yeah, and um, all of you will flee and leave me. Peter's like, what are you talking about? These guys may leave you. I will stay. I'll be even willing to die for you, Jesus. I am one of the faithful ones. I will not abandon my God. And guess what? As soon as the Roman soldiers show up, after a brief display of, uh, of boldness on Peter's account, he and the rest of them flee and run. Not just that. Later, Peter is trying to follow Jesus from a distance and he sees him entering into a place of, of suffering and his trial. And people come up and ask Peter, don't you follow Jesus? Aren't you one of those Galileans that were following after the one that was called the Messiah? Peter denies it two times. No, I didn't know him. The third time, guess who comes up and challenges Peter? The most intimidating, fearful, powerful person in the world. A middle school girl. I've been in middle school. I know. They're scary. And she asked him, do you know him? And he said, no. The one who proclaimed so much boldness crumbled in the face of the fear of the retribution and the shame and the response of a middle schooler. How does Jesus respond? It's interesting. Jesus, after he raises from the dead, Jesus who died for sinners, Jesus who died for the unfaithful, Jesus who died for those who aren't bold, pursues Peter after his re resurrection. And he communicates and he wants Peter to know, Peter, I love you. You are restored. And I am going to use you who have denied me. I'm restoring you in my grace and my mercy. And I'm going to use you to proclaim the good news of the message of the gospel to sinners. And later, Peter, you will suffer and you will die. And even at the face of, uh, of great suffering, and you will die a martyr but you will persevere. You see, it's not, the Bible doesn't motivate us by saying, look at how strong Daniel is. Just get your, your strength and your power and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And if you could be strong and bold like Daniel, you will persevere. No. The motivation point of the Scriptures is the grace and mercy of Jesus. Would you not be willing to suffer and be persecuted for one who would come to you in the midst of your rebellion and your failure and who would speak to you words of grace and mercy and redemption. Who, in order to redeem you and me for our sin, suffered himself. Willing to take on, not just, hey, I'm putting you out in the, the midst of just a bunch of uh, difficult hardship and good luck. 
but who himself took on flesh in order to suffer persecution to redeem his people. Notice Notice the purpose that comes out of this and the results. Notice as Daniel will we'll wrap up with this as he looks to the end that is in sight as a way to motivate his, us to endurance and perseverance. Notice in uh, chapter 11, verses 33 to 35, the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. Uh, and when they stumble, they shall receive a little help. And many shall join themselves to him with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble. Listen why they will stumble. So that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end. For it still awaits at the appointed time. The same language repeats over in, in chapter 12. The purpose of God bringing persecution into the lives of his people is for our purification. For our refining, the, the image is one of, of impure metals being heated up by uh, the, the, the pressure and the heat and the, the forces of this great fire that's burning up. And as the, the impure metals are heated up, the impurities, the dross comes out and floats to the top and it's scooped off and thrown away. And then it's heated up again, scooped off and thrown away, heated up again until what remains at the end is completely and totally pure metal. That is God's intention and pur- purpose for bringing persecution into the lives of His people. He, he's not a cruel, vindictive God. He's not a cruel Heavenly Father who just wants to see His people suffer. Remember, He's demonstrated His love for us that He would take on flesh, sending His Son to take on flesh, to die in our place for our rebellion. He desperately loves us. He loves us so much He pursues us in the midst of our sin to call us to Himself. This God, this loving, good, and gracious God has a purpose for the suffering and the persecution. And it's to show us as to be more pure, more holy, to reflect His glory. We have to go back and cling to and rest on His goodness and His purposes for why He brings persecution into our lives. But the last thing that we see is that there's not just a purposeful end, but there's a victorious end. Notice in verse uh, three, um, verse two and three, or well, let's just look at one and three, one through three of chapter 12. So remember, this great time of tribulation is coming. And it says, but at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. In verse 13, he reminds and says to Daniel, you shall rest and stand in your allotted place the end of the days. God is saying at the end, even if it looks like this king has defeated God's people, even if you've suffered and you die, God can still come out victorious. He will raise you from the dead. If you lose your life in the midst of suffering and persecution, God has not abandoned you. God will ultimately deliver His people and we will live and stand with Him in our allotted place. That language is language that God used to describe and communicate to His people of the promises and provision He would give them of having an allotted inheritance 
from their heavenly Father in the promised land. God dwelling with His people in His land. God has promised that for us too. Those of us who are hoping and trusting in Jesus have the hope and the expectation that at the end of the persecution that we face, when Jesus returns, we will be raised from the dead. We will be welcomed into His renewed and restored world. We will have our allotted place, this, this earth, renewed, restored, where we will dwell with our God forever. Those, though, who reject Him, it tells that they will suffer everlasting punishment. You see, the good news of the hope of the Gospel is that even those who, who doubt, those who sin, those who, who give up in the midst of great suffering and persecution, God in His mercy right now is calling us to experience His grace and forgiveness in Jesus. There is hope for all of us. And it's only in us being motivated by the grace that comes from a God who pursues unfaithful sinners to redeem and restore us that we have any hope of uh, of motivation and power to anticipate and face suffering and persecution. Our God loves us. Persecution is coming, but He has a purposeful end to it where He will work his, uh, to purify and refine us. And we will stand victorious in the end when He returns and sets all things right. This is the good news of the Gospel and the hope that all of us have who look and hope in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. Um, we thank You for uh, the truth of the Gospel. We pray that in the midst of our, our struggles, in the midst of our fears, in the midst of our questioning whether it's worth it or not, that your grace, that your mercy, that your provision of Jesus for us will be what motivates us to persevere and endure as we await your return. Give us the strength to suffer well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As Jesus was on his way to suffer, as Jesus was on